Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. Philippians 3.17 In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. The Bible tells us to study the lives of the saints. Keep your eyes on those who live their Christian life as St. Paul did. This, um, when I first discovered this fact about the Bible, it came as a little bit of a surprise to me because usually when you think of a Christian who loves the Bible and a Christian who loves the saints, those are different Christians, different sort of patterns of piety in the Christian tradition. But here, if we are to obey the Bible, we should pay attention to the saints. The Holy Spirit who spoke through St. Paul here demonstrates God's perfect knowledge of our constitution, of how we're made as human beings, because we learn high abstract truths best when we can see them embodied in particular instantiations. That's why every high conceptual thing is presented with an anecdote, something to put some skin on what the concept looks like. So if we are, for instance, told, as the Bible tells us in many places, to be strong and courageous, it's one thing to simply have the dictionary definition of courage in your mind to try and receive this verse. You might look it up in Merriam-Webster or something. But it's another thing to have in your mind a picture of William Wallace running out against the English armies in Mel Gibson's excellent film. Or even better, John the Baptist preaching against the Pharisees to their face and preaching against Herod, who he knew had power of life and death over him. Or St. Stephen standing and preaching unashamed even as the rocks threw, were thrown at him to kill him as he stood continuing to preach the gospel of Jesus. These are living examples that captivate our hearts as well as our minds. And when it comes to trying to live the Christian life in all its particularities, God's provided us with countless living examples to help us find our way and to guide and inspire us along this Christian journey. Saints whom we are called to imitate. Saints like Paul who in all his words and deeds that we have recorded so thoroughly emulated the life of Christ that actually one church father goes so far as to say he's almost like a second Christ in his good example. That's hyperbole but it shows what an arch example St. Paul is to all Christians. That's why he says, inspired by the Spirit. It's not just Paul saying, hey, here's an idea, imitate me. The Spirit, it must have, I imagine Paul in his humility, that there was a, it was almost a bit bashful to write, imitate me, knowing that that was the truth. But that would be hard to say, imitate me. A, a condensed form of what he says in other letters, more kind of teasing out the, um, the syllogism more fully. When in 1 Corinthians 11, he says, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Right? He's saying he's a link in the chain. He's imitating Christ. Imitate him. When you see it in full, it, it might raise for you as it does for me the question of, well, why wouldn't we just imitate Christ directly? And of course, the answer is you can imitate Christ directly. That's a good thing to try and do. But sometimes it, it's been my experience and many in the church that Christ's own life is so particular and so perfect and so glorious that it can be difficult to analyze for imitation. 
in thinking of a, a figure to try and explain this, looking at Christ, I think, can sometimes be like looking at, um, at bright white light. It's so beautiful, but it can also be a bit blinding. And what I want to offer as an idea is that you know, God in his wisdom gave us a head and a body, Christ the head and the body, his church. The church acts almost like a prism to the bright light of Christ. That each individual saint of the church is like a breakdown, an individual wavelength of color, which together make up the radiance, the single white light of Christ. And so that's what we're doing when we're studying the lives of the saints. We're looking at one particular sort of refracted portion of the glory of Christ in one particular lived life. And it makes it easier to study and to emulate and sometimes shows us applications of the Christian life that Jesus' earthly ministry doesn't show forth to us concretely. So to be really clear, Hebrews says that Jesus um, was tempted in every way as we are, yet was without sin. So he knows the full range of human experience, no question. But Jesus doesn't give us a model of repentance because he had nothing to repent from. Only if we look at the life of St. Mary Magdalene or St. Paul or any of the great penitents through history can we see, oh, that's what Christian repentance looks like. Jesus in his earthly life was not a parent, right? So, but when we look at the lives of saints who were parents, we can see, oh, that's what saintly parenting looks like. Or even something like having wealth. Jesus was very poor, no place to lay his head. So what does faithful Christian discipleship look like if you've got some wealth, which Jesus didn't have? Well, the lives of the saints give us examples of that. When we imitate the saints, um, to be clear, we are still imitating Christ. Indirectly, because they were imitating Christ. But even in a way directly, because we know that Christ indwells the lives of his, servant, of his children. So when you look at an anecdote from the lives of the saints, it's not just that person acting, it's Christ acting in them, inspiring and perfecting their words and deeds. We can learn from and be inspired by all the particular ways in which the saints throughout history have worked out their salvation with fear and trembling, that great lesson we've heard last week. You could look at St. Louis of France, whom our city, uh, St. Louis, and I assume Louisville is named after. Um, he was a wealthy medieval king with all the power and wealth that comes with being a king in the Middle Ages. But he loved Jesus. And what he did was he wore a hair shirt underneath his royal purple, lifelong as an adult. A hair shirt, um, that medieval garment, which I, I, I'm not, also not to be clear, when we study the lives of the saints, it's not like we're looking just for individual things to follow necessarily at the level of the letter, but to look for the spirit of it. So I'm not saying we should all put on hair shirts, but look at that example of someone who had great power, but he, for him it was a stewardship, great wealth. But to keep himself humble, he took a very extreme ascetical measure and wore a hair shirt. And they uncovered it at his death when they were sort of getting his body ready for burial. And they saw under, underneath the purple, look, at, there's that hair shirt, this kind of flesh that was red and irritated from camel hair, horse hair. St. Francis of Assisi, whose feast is today, was also wealthy. He was the son of a wealthy merchant. His response to the gospel was to disown his inheritance to live as a missionary and a monk. In this upcoming week of commemorations, and actually let me just give you the page number so that you can, in case you haven't seen it in your prayer books, we have a calendar of commemorations. Um, 
And so for October, we're looking at page 707 in the prayer book. So um, you don't, if you didn't know that was there, um, it's, good, it's good to know about because I'm preaching about the saints. You should know who we mean. So of course, today's October 4th on page 707. You see, um, on Tuesday, it's going to be the commemoration of William Tyndale, who gave his whole life to the study of the scriptures. He forsook all his other academic studies and went only for the scriptures so that he could translate and propagate the word of God. But then, you know, just a couple days later on Friday, we're going to have Robert Gross Test, who was a contemporary of St. Francis by chronology, but he lived in England. And he gave his life of discipleship to a, he immersed himself in a life of scientific study and philosophical and academic investigation. He's one of the great intellectuals of late medieval England who actually paved the way for the Renaissance in Oxford a century later. So you see there are saints of all kinds, intellectuals and anti-intellectuals. Those who felt they had to give up all their wealth and those who just took other measures to make sure it didn't corrupt them. Right? The, the saints are this rich tapestry. There's not just one way to live out the principles of Christ Jesus. There are many ways. For, in fact, for every station of life you find yourself in, every temperament, you know, personality type you find yourself having and callings, there are models from the past worthy of imitation. Now, the saints that Paul tells us to keep our eyes on, they actually don't have to be dead. <laughs> they can, of course, be living. In fact, the living witness could be of the greatest value. So I want to offer you one very concrete proposal. You know, sermons, sometimes you look for concrete application. If you're really serious about continuing to grow vigorously in the Christian life, um, a very commendable thing to do, a thing that will really help you in that goal, is to locate the holiest Christian that you know. It might be a friend from some other place you live. It might be a friend you have here, someone in, in the church. It might be someone, it could be anybody, but the holiest Christian that you know. Someone who, when you watch them speaking and acting, you say, wow, that, that looks like Christ. Someone, the person who's impressed you as a Christian. And then ask them to be your mentor. To use an excellent Anglican term, you know, mentor is kind of a modern word, your spiritual friend. And I think it's one of the great truths of um, the, the Christian history shows us is that spiritual friendship is something we offer each other in the body of Christ. It's completely independent of like, clergy and laity or like any orders or monks it's like no just whoever's the holiest person you know the celts had this wonderful word the anamkara a soul friend a chosen a relationship that you choose to make intentional about your own spiritual growth what that means is you ask the holiest christian that you know what are their habits what are their goals what are their affections what excites them what are their self-denials and you share your life with them, laying bare some of your decision-making process, some of your discipleship patterns, and inviting counsel and critique. That's what spiritual friendship is, just being intentional in conversations with someone with whom you already have a relationship, who you admire the depth of their discipleship. This is an invaluable component in maturing in the Christian life. I, I have a spiritual friend, a spiritual, sometimes you can use, there's different words that basically mean the same thing. A spiritual director, these are terms you might have heard around in your years sojourning in the church. I have a spiritual director. A mature Christian, a Christian who I just think is the, he's just one of the holiest guys I've met. And I was like, can you just teach me how, how you're a Christian? I want to learn from you. And when I have conundrums in my personal life or in ministry, I'll share them and ask for his insight. 
Um, the living witnesses of inestimable value. But the reason why, as well as this, as a complement, it's really useful to study the lives of the saints of the past is because of the heights of sanctity which some of the saints of the past attained. For a number of reasons, uh, not least of all uh, Netflix and cable TV, uh, as well as, I think, sometimes a misunderstanding of Reformation-era theology, the ceiling on sanctity, I think, has come down in our day. And by our day, I mean recent centuries. <laughs> the Spirit of God, glory to him, calls forth um, heroic examples of virtue in every generation. There are holy men and women on the earth in every generation, to be clear. But perhaps not quite so many souls today who radiate the glory of Christ so profoundly that you actually, they, it looks like they're glowing. Studying the lives of the saints of the past to see the heights and the depths of sanctity which some of them attain. And by that, that just means the earnestness and the consistency with which they fought, obeyed Christ Jesus and his commands. Studying them, it, what it does is it expands the horizon of our imagination of what's possible in the Christian life. If you'd only ever met lukewarm Christians, you would think that's as far as Christian discipleship goes. Right? What a tragedy to have never met a holy person. And so kind of continuing on that line, as you study the lives of the saints, you see, wow, look what can happen to a human life if it's fully yielded to God. And having your imagination expanded, what it does is it actually creates um, more potential for your own Christian life, for what it can become. I've seen this principle of imagination expansion at work in the X Games, the extreme sports competition that is the highlight of many teenage summers. Do they still watch the X Games? Do you watch the X Games, Luke? Is that not, ah, man, what a loss. It was a great thing while it lasted. I don't even know if it goes anymore. Um, it's actually not a great loss. I'm being a bit facetious. But it's, um, what was staggering is to watch the progression of the size and the difficulty of the tricks that were performed as the years progressed. I remember vividly the uh, 1997 X Games, <laughs> the dirt jumps, which, you know, a hill with just dirt ramps for BMX bikes, which was the sport I was obsessed with as a kid. It was the dirt jumps, 1997 X Games, and there was this underdog um, named Rule Erickson. And he needed to do something big. He wasn't on the leaderboard. And so what he did is he went down these ramps and on the last ramp, he attempted a double backflip. And he didn't make it. He just slammed into the dirt and, you know, got up, young guy, shook it off. And the crowd gave him a standing ovation. And just the attempt was honored with this great score because no one had ever done a double backflip. It was like this barely conceivable thing. Like no one saw it coming. It was just this wild thing that he did. But then later that summer, someone actually landed a double backflip. And the ceiling of everyone's imagination of what was possible in BMX got raised. And lo and behold, within a couple of years, everybody was doing double backflips. In fact, a few more years went on and one guy did a triple backflip. And people said, the commentator said, okay, this is insane. We have now reached the pinnacle of what's, you know, the physics of what's possible on a little bike with 20 inch wheels. Um, this is the apex of the glory. This is the apex of this sport. Let's enjoy it. This is amazing. And then in 2015, a guy landed a quadruple. I apologize ahead of time for the YouTube rabbit trail this might send you on later this afternoon. <laughs> but what it shows is that when the ceiling of your imagination of what's possible is higher, you perform more, right? 
That's why we study the lives of the great saints of the past. So brothers and sisters, join in imitating them. Keeping your eyes on them, not the BMXers, the holy men and women of old. That in imitating them, by the power of the Holy Spirit who lives within you, right? Our imitation is not a, a labor of the flesh. It's a yielding to the Holy Spirit. By the power of the Holy Spirit within you, that you might grow like them more and more, using that wonderful phrase from Ephesians, um, into the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ Jesus. So that Jesus himself might be glorified in us, as he is glorified perpetually and forever in the lives of all his saints. Amen.